Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Tina Horn, and this is Interrobang. Interrobang is the bonus segment of my Wire People Into That podcast. Follow at Tina Horn Sass or at Tina Horn's Sass if you're nasty. On Twitter and Instagram, visit wirepeopleintothat.com, support my show, and get extra shit at patreon.com slash Tina Horn. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash T-I-N-A. H-O-R-N Mickey Maud, hello. Tina Horn, hello. <laughs> it's nice to see you. It's nice to see you as well, old friend. Yes. <laughs> you are very special because you are one of the only people that I have had back on the podcast for a return visit, uh, Sloppy Seconds. I... I... You know, I love Sloppy Seconds and I, I love being on the show, um, so I'm glad that I get to be here. So I'm excited to do an interrobang with you. I'm excited to be in Austin. I have not spent that much time here, so it's very nice to be, you know, driven around by you. You're showing me where the taco places are, where the swimming holes are, where the, like, outdoor bars are. Pretty yeah. great. It's been pretty great. Austin is, is a great city. If you like tacos, beer, and swimming, Austin is quite a good place to be. You know you're singing my song. So there are a couple of things that we are going to talk about today. I think that the focus is going to be on the documentary that you are in the process of making with your partner, who we're going to call M for today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the concept behind that documentary and where it's at? Absolutely, absolutely. For those who are listening who uh, don't know who I am, uh, I yeah. Am... Tell the tell the people who the Give hell you are. Yeah. Background, like why I'm on the show twice. <laughs> um, for those who didn't hear me on the on the first episode, I am an adult performer. Sorry, will you start again? I I hit the <laughs> mic with my Topo Chico. I am an adult performer. I've been performing in um, adult films for uh, nine years now. I realize mm. that. Mostly kink and BDSM uh, content, but also kind of a, a range of content from the, the span of erotica <laughs> to hardcore pornography. Sites like Evil Angel, Four Chambers. My partner and I have been together um, six of those years. Mm. Currently, the way that we kind of navigated how we talked about the work that I do, generally, you know, for socially, it was kind of like on a case by case basis. Like, mm. oh, this person is cool. I think we can share this with them. And when it came to, to family, there are some people in my family who know what I do and have no problem with it. And there are some people in my family who, for reasons that I can go into later, we decided not to tell because it mm. just would doesn't really 
serve anything. Um, and for my partner, um, you know, I was already performing for three years before we met. Mm. And um, upon kind of discussing about how we would talk about what um, I did for a living, we made the decision not to tell my partner's family. Um, and as, you know, kind of years went on and they, they got to know us and, um, and that, that was the impetus of, of not telling them is that we didn't want um, any sort of stigma or preconceived conception about what goes on or what people think goes on in adult entertainment to kind of um, be a barrier from them getting to know me right. as a person who is... Um, Has who other qualities yeah. besides your job? Yeah. 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 And um, very recently, they have um, found out what I do for a living and um, not through us telling us, telling them. Um, we don't know how they found out. Mm, um, that's really hard. Yeah. And um, they have decided to cut off all contact with us. <sighs> so that, that has been understandably really difficult for us, really difficult for my wife. And this happened in, in January. It's June now. Okay, so, so um, it's really still very fresh. Yes, it is very fresh. And also um, later in the month of January, um, actually, no, it was February. It was February. It was February where we found out that we are pregnant with our first child. Mazel tov. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you're very excited. Um, but that is also information that we haven't been able to share with them. Oof. Because they are not communicating with us at all. And so that's what the movie's about. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we had my um, partner um, is a filmmaker, and we had long kind of talked and had you know other friends of ours who are filmmakers ask us when are we gonna when are you guys gonna make this movie about like you know the, the kind of your relationship and I think I think there's as you know there's a lot of fascination in uh -huh. telling the story of of sex workers and their partners and how do people make this you know this wacky crazy thing work well it's exciting to have the opportunity to tell that story on your own terms yeah. like with your own subjectivity yeah yeah and that and that's something that um i i, I feel is um ever increasingly uh important mm. we talked about this before the you know, the I dated a sex worker sort of story yeah. that kind of focuses on like, oh, like you poor, brave thing. Like you were able to love the unlovable <sighs> um, sort of narrative that kind of goes on. And the, you know, well, diamond in the rough sort of mentality. Well, that those stories also, are. it's the safari narrative, right? Where the person telling the story is not, the person of interest, but then they do end up being the person that the reader or the viewer is supposed to emotionally connect to. And then the person of interest, the the porn star in this case, or in other cases, it might be the trans person or, you know, any other marginalized uh, person that people have like a fascination with, but also seeming uh, inability to treat them with humanity or give them human rights anyway <laughs> um then all of a sudden it yeah it becomes about the the person who is gazing at them and not the person themselves and we're tired of that a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. just a little <laughs> yeah um and 
you know, through, you know, the, com- you know, it's, it's, there's been a lot of conversation about this project and how we kind of feel about putting ourselves and our lives um, mm. out there. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there, there are people who will see whatever we decide to put out there and make their judgments one way or the other about, um, you know, the type of relationship that we have about the work that I do about, um, you know, manipulation and exploitation and, um, and there, those people are going to have those thoughts regardless, um, no matter who it is out there. That's true. Um, I, I think that what is important and something that you, that you don't see, um, with documentaries and, and work that is surrounding sex work is you I think you rarely get to see the I think people want to focus on like the work you know people want to mm. focus on like being on set and seeing the you know the world of like here's a glimpse into this world um, but that is, is really such a small part of the relationships and the community mm. um, and I, I think when I when I see films like Hot Girls Wanted Ugh. or After Porn, um, I, I always feel that what is really lacking from that is the the community that people yeah. come into um, around sex work and the kind of shared similar stories. You know, as as I've you know let people know who are um, my friends and and through sex work um so many people have similar stories of you know you know coming out to their parents about the work that they do um and being ostracized or disowned um you know people trying to take their children away and in custody battles with you know ex um you know, co-parents and, and what have you. Yeah. Um, so many people have a, a, a family member or someone in their lives that is choosing um, not to understand or even consider um, or even ask about um, the decisions that they've made with their life because there's such a strong narrative that we are unable to make decisions for ourselves. Well, and documentaries, if you can even call them that, like Hot Girls Wanted, I think contribute to the ideologies that then contribute to stigma and contribute to people who don't have, who are not even going to bother to ask you what is your job actually like? What is, what are the emotions around the decisions that you make to do it, the um, effect that it has in your relationship, they just jump immediately to all kinds of things that are all kinds of moral judgments and sense that um, that this is anathema, that this is something that they have to distance themselves from, that they want to distance their loved ones from, that you must be a, that you as a sex worker must be a corrupting force or that you've been so corrupted that you need to be saved or, and that even in that, even in that state of perceived vulnerability, 
to the evils, the perceived evils um, that you might be a corrupting force because they don't want their loved ones to be dragged down with you. Um, so people, you know, people see these movies and they have a powerful, these movies like Hot Girls Wanted, um, they have a powerful effect on their view of what the sex industry is really like and then they project that onto you instead of actually listening to your real human subjective story so my hope would be that movies that are actually created by people in the industry on their terms telling the stories that they want to tell that that might have an influence on it that it that it might at the very least complicate people's narrow ideas of what it actually means to be a pornographer to perform in porn to be a sex worker yeah yeah and i you know i i hope people kind of allow allow space to kind of accept that narrative because i yeah. think it is really um i think it's i think it's really hard sometimes i think um to have the it, it becomes so polarized that when you want to kind of talk about something different that people are like, well, well, you're just ignoring like all of this other stuff and basing, you know, this like the, what do they call it? Oh, the, the happy hooker sort of narrative. And right. then you're ignoring all of this other stuff. And I, you know, I think with what we're trying to do here is I think we're trying to kind of show the, the complexity that is, that is our lives, that yeah. it is, um, you know, I, I do this work, um, but I also do a lot of other things. And, you know, this work is not what defines me as, as a person, as a human being. Um, you know, we are going through, um, you know, a lot of transition in our lives. Um, you know, my, my partner is, is finishing her master's degree. Mm. Like, we are in a state that is not our home state to, you know, kind of facilitate that. I am going through kind of transitions in, in my career as someone yeah. who has been performing for a while and is now um, looking to kind of move on from that a little bit and kind of take a step back um, and be more of a uh, creator of a content and less of a performer. Um, and kind of what that means for me and kind of changing things up in order to, for us to both prepare as, as, you know, being parents as well. Yeah. And, and what that means for, um, you know, our economic stability and how we have been making money before and how that changes and how we kind of continue. Um, and so there's, there's a, a lot, um, we've kind of been joking that like, oh man, we've, like had this baby it's a really good plot point um you <laughs> nice know. work yeah yeah um so i mean this is the and it's it's, it's complicated you know um yeah. it is um it's really difficult to um when i think about the decisions i made around choosing to do sex work yeah um i was thinking in terms of myself and how it affects my life and not thinking about, you know, it was just three years before I even met my wife. So I didn't know that, you know, um, this person even existed or would be, you know, someone I would want to be for the rest of my life. So, yeah. you know, those decisions didn't kind of take that into account and how this would affect um, her life and her family. And, you know, we, I was, you know, very clear from the beginning, like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to continue to do. And this is, you know, if this is 
you know, if this is something that you can support and this is something, you know, we can, you know, make this relationship work. Very upfront about that. I didn't ever want it to be something that was um, a surprise or, and, and people, I think often, I, I know other people who have been asked by like fans or people on the internet, like, oh, does your, does your partner know this is what you're doing? And it also seems like very, very crazy that, you know, that somebody would be hiding this whole other self. Um, but yeah. people, people have before, you know? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, yeah, it, it, it is sort of shocking to me or I can't even wrap my mind around how you could be doing something and not that, that you could be performing in porn or that you could be an escort or a dominatrix or a stripper or a cam model and be, you know, have a partner, have a girlfriend or boyfriend and be building intimacy with that person and not trust them with that information. At the same time, part of what we're talking about right now is the extreme lengths that stigma can push people to that people would excommunicate and ostracize their loved ones, their, their, their grown children, you know, their family members just because of an association with porn. And, um, it, so it, it, yeah, it, I can kind of understand in light of that why someone might choose to compartmentalize or might have, you know, uh, have so much association, you know, being social, being socialized to think of porn in that way that they would have like a lot of internal whore phobia, mm -hmm. as we say, that they would just be like, oh, this person won't really love or trust me or be able to handle this because I've seen the horrible things that horophobia makes people do. So I'm going to keep it compartmentalized and separate in order to protect them or protect the relationship or protect myself. I respect people's rights to make that decision, but I also would like to help to contribute a world where people don't have to feel that way. I mean, it's sort of yeah. analogous to being out as queer, right? Like I, I want to be like, like, yeah, throw glitter everywhere and be radical honesty. And of course you should be out to everyone. We need everybody to be out every second all the time. Like I do actually feel that way, especially the glitter part. Um, but I also am very aware of all of the circumstances and conditions in which somebody might choose not to be out as trans or out as bisexual or out as gay and... And I have to respect everybody's right to make that decision for themselves. Yeah, yeah, because it's not, for so many people, it's not safe. Yeah, it's really it's... not safe. And, you know, there's, there are certain, there are certainly physical threats or threats to your, um, your stability, like your ability to, like keep your keep your housing or keep a different you know a, another job that you might have or keep custody of your kids et cetera et cetera. But then there's also just emotional safety. You know yeah. sometimes it seems like 
this part of me is stigmatized and demonized and people don't understand it and people don't even want to try to understand. So I'm just going to keep it a secret and keep it separate because that, because I'm not prepared or equipped to deal with the emotions of that. And yeah, and then as you've seen, it doesn't get any easier when radical honesty doesn't always make things emotionally easier. Yeah. And I think also the question of like, who is that radical honesty for? Mm. Um, what does that, does that always serve everyone involved in, um, in that situation? Um, and you know, we, over the years, my wife and I, we had many conversations about, what to tell them, when to, t- you know, her, her family, what to tell them, when to tell them, how much to tell them, do we even need to tell them? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that was, you know, a question that kind of came up a lot. Like, do we feel some sort of um, need for absolution by mm-hmm. like coming out and like, letting people know like this is what we do even though we know that the result might be something that is um really difficult and may never be understood um is that a reasonable assumption to make for someone else in general um how much do they need to know do they even need to know that at all does that kind of change who we are, who we need to be in our interactions with them. Um, there are, you know, many people, I'm sure, in your life where, like, the details of um, their sexuality and their sex lives, like, aren't necessary in order for your relationship to continue and grow and for... It's very appropriate to have boundaries around what you talk about in the specifics of your sexual identity. And this is another way that queerness is, and and kinkiness too, actually, um, is analogous to sex work in terms of stigma, in terms of being out. Um, Because sex work, kink, queerness are so shrouded in mystery, Um, And it's a little chicken and egg, like, does the mystery come first or the stigma come first? Um, But because they're so shrouded in mystery, when people, when you say to someone, like, like, okay, like if I say to someone that I'm gay, there's more of an acute sexuality to that assertion of my identity than if I was to say to someone that I was straight or that if someone were to to um, identify as straight or say that they were straight, right? Because that's sort of like the like the, the unmarked state as it's called, right? Like mm-hmm. that like um, whiteness or uh, or heterosexuality or being cisgender or I guess in this case like not being a sex worker is like the unmarked state. Yeah, the default value and yeah. Right, exactly. But you can be out as queer and not be 
rubbing butt sex in people's faces in every moment, right? You could be out as kinky. Like, I could come out to my parents as kinky, but not need to be like, well, mom, like, I'm really into spanking and being spanked. But, like, I, like, am into pissing on people, but, like, not as into being pissed on, like, by men. But, like, with women, it's okay. Like, in these circumstances, right? Like, when you, if you tell your if you talk to your parents about being sexually active, like even if you are like a straight vanilla person, if you like talk about being sexually active, like you don't need to be explicit with your parents. If you have that kind of relationship, like I'm all for that. But um, there are, and this really does come back to sex work in the sense that people assume that when you've crossed that boundary of making your sex making your sexuality public making your your body something that you like use commercially um making like the like a performance of of sexuality or an intimacy something that you like negotiate the terms of for your livelihood people assume that once you've crossed that boundary that you don't have the right to negotiate any other terms or that you don't have any boundaries at all, which is first of all, the opposite of true. Um, and, and, and sometimes I think that that is where a lot of the source of stigma is that people hear that you're a sex worker and then they have a lot of fear and assumptions and projections and judgments that you are a boundaryless individual and yeah and that's ironic because that then you would be ostracized for that reason when in fact i would say that the opposite is true the 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 fact that you have like crossed that taboo crossed that threshold means that you are learning how to negotiate all of those terms yeah yeah and it's it's you know it's also kind of an interesting point when sometimes the the product that you are, are selling sometimes through sex work is that sort of like boundaryless, like constantly like sexually engaged um, persona sometimes that yeah. is that is a product that people have a hard time kind of celebrate s- separating like the brand that you that you may put out there from. The, I mean, there there are things that I choose not to like represent in, in, in sex work. Like my sex work persona does not encompass all of my sexuality. Totally, it doesn't encompass like you know intimacy that like I I may share with other partners I have in my life. Yeah. Um, and it is um. For me, is something that I have spent a lot of time um kind of crafting kind of like whittling down to kind of feel like what is this what is mickey mod mm. in terms of like the public presentation of of mickey mod yeah um and the understanding of i think adult entertainment and that separation from like fantasy and reality mm. is something that is really really difficult for for people to sus- suspend their disbelief yeah. that is um there's something that happens that because the sex is is real because that you know 
because that is actually happening on some level that people cannot separate this as an entertainment platform yeah. for people. Um, I mean, and I don't, I don't feel that it's it's solely an entertainment platform. And I think we could, we could, I'm sure, talk for hours about kind of the philosophy of uh, behind that. But it's often strange how you know I've participated in 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 scenes that in in my mind are clearly fictional um scenes and i've had people kind of like you know comment and ask if this you know is this real or this this really happened or like you know like what is going on or like i think you're a bad and horrible person because this thing that i think is real that you did as a performance like happened right um and it's 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 strange to me on how that is still such a like this is not new territory that we're that we're getting into, but it's still a constant conversation. What do you love about performing in porn? I love being able to have a space where I can be vulnerable. Mm where I can, where my body is not, actually does, feels less personally threatened than it does in other areas of my life. That's an amazing first point for you to hit as a man. I would say that's, you know, I, I think that being able to, that the fact that vulnerability is one of the first things that you think of when you think about making porn really flies in the face of what a lot of people, why the motivations that I think a lot of people have about why a man would choose to be a porn star, for example. I, I also think it's, it's for me, I know it's, it's tied to being a black man in this, mm. in this world and um, growing up thinking that like, um, that I was somehow out of the realm of, of blackness mm -hmm. in terms of what the media, what the images of black masculinity were presented to me and growing up kind of feeling like, oh, well, maybe I'm not, you know, this like masculine person. Like I am not like, I, I, you know, I feel that you, you see either like kind of this like hyper masculine sort of like thuggish representation or you see for for me personally it was important to to portray like living brown bodies yeah um because it's not something that like um you see or when you do see it it's done in a specific way that like I didn't see from adult entertainment, I didn't see from mainstream entertainment, like people who were doing the things that I wanted to do were expressing the sexuality that I felt was represent representative of me. Like what, for example? Um, I didn't see anybody who looked like me in any sort of like, you know, I had, um, you know, from my, my early twenties, like a fascination in, in BDSM and, mm. and like specifically like, you know, sexual like role play. Mm. And it was often, I think 
times presented to me as this sort of like luxury commodity of a certain group of people of a certain socioeconomic class and you know that's certainly the image that we see yeah and as you know in in growing up in in san francisco as I, i met people who were into who were in the bdsm community people who like you know brought me into the bdsm community that was you know there was the perception i had um and then like the reality of, of people who were, were not what I, you know, saw being presented. Um, and when I got the opportunity to perf- perform, that was something that was, you know, I, I knew that that was something like, oh, like, and even though there was a lot of times where it was really difficult and I'm like, I'm the only person here that looks like me. Yeah. And, um, meaning the only person of color on a porn set. Yeah. Yeah, and I am well aware of how people of color are portrayed in the adult industry, and um, it's not always pretty. No, it's 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 not, and um, that is something that has made um, that I think has been the most difficult um, part of it. Um, turning down work that I, I know would um, maybe be better exposure mm. for like companies that like you know have a greater distribution um, because of the type of content that they um, do or have asked me to do you know not working for certain directors not um, working with other performers that have uh, kind of a, a casual stance on that sort of content because it is the work that they're that they get um, By casual, you mean racist? Yeah, the, the sort of casual racist stance yeah. that is so prevalent in adult entertainment, and um, and I and I, I see that as such a, a you know difficult choice that I feel privileged enough to have been able to to say like no to things that I yeah. know other people feel that they haven't been able to or just just can't because of the the nature of, of, of the work sometimes being so feast or famine. You know, interracial pornography is something yes. that is um, a favorite topic of mine to talk about. My yes. favorite, I mean, annoying as fuck. Yeah, um, about it's annoying how, that you still have to talk about it. Have to it. talk about it. Yeah. Um, that um, performers will sometimes uh, ask for a higher rate mm. for um, interracial, their first interracial, which in the context of porn means someone sleeping working with a black man um right so it's usually a white perform a white female performer performing with a black male performer yeah that is what interracial means in porn like like a like an asian female performer performing with a black man like or almost always black male it, it, it's, it's, the, yeah. it's the consistent factor in that and like so like a white male and a black woman is not interracial in, in genre wise in porn genre wise usually it isn't although i know there's some people who who kind of consider that generally when it, it is it is two women performing it's not much of, a, of an issue but mm. there seems to be this ongoing debate on whether that is racist or not because whether interracial as a genre is racist or not yeah whether like charging more is is, is racist or interracial as a genre is racist or the decision to do it or not do it 
um, is is racist based on the the way that the content is presented, and specifically when it when it comes to choosing to do the scene and accepting more money, there's kind of a this ongoing debate recently on whether this is racist because it is a genre that has increased in popularity mm. and so it is akin to something like you know doing something like anal or gangbang or something that you know requires uh, a lot more energy to to do and um people kind of want to go back and forth of like well like i'm you know i'm in this business to make money and like if i'm going to make more money off of this and then you know why not this is not you know this is not race-based this is just purely business sense also and the industry is racist and sexist and transphobic even just if we're going to mm-hmm. specifically talk about these genre constructions yeah. or the the way that people the, the roles that people are asked to to portray even if even if we did live in a world where everyone could agree that these are fictional fantasy archetypes and that it's not necessarily a statement about mm-hmm. the humanity of these individuals in general but yeah yeah, yeah. and if to just kind of like settle that, like my personal opinion is yes, like please. if you are only giving that option to white women, then yes, that is racist. Yeah. When women of color are, if you're going to say that this is a thing and if it only works a certain way and those options are only given to not the people of color. Right. Yeah, that's gonna be a little racist. Yeah. Um, if you yeah. know, yeah, you're, like you're, specifically saying, economically disenfranchising people of color, especially women of color. Because yeah. you're you, saying that like yeah. you can only make more money for this scene if you are white. Yes. So, what are we gonna do about it? Uh, let's burn the whole thing down. Um, I mean, you know, I. I I I don't know what to do about it, and I think that's that's kind of a, a frustration uh, I have is that people oftentimes want to throw their hands up and be like, "Well, it's porn. What did you expect?" Um, yeah, and yeah, I've heard I you think say it, that a lot. It's it's I think it's severely limiting to not think of you know on on, on both sides of it, people who are in porn and people who aren't in porn to allow um, to kind of constrict like an evolution of a of a medium. Um, because they're like, well, it's this. Like, it's never going to get any better if people actually don't take it seriously. And, uh, you know, conversation that I was having with, with Jizz is that, like, you know, the, the solution is not to stop making porn or to make less porn. It's that more people need to be making more people who haven't been making porn before need to be making porn. Yeah. You know, people who don't see themselves in it need to be making it. People who only see themselves in it in a certain way need to be making it. Um, and I don't really feel that that's, that's the case. I think it's like, you know, things have kind of been saturated and things are really in a space where people feel that like, oh, this is the way it is. I have to follow suit. And I don't think that that is, I think that that was the case when, you know, certain people, own the means of distribu- distribution, but I think, you know, the the landscape is changing and people are trying to scramble and find ways to, like, make money because the old system does not work. And if you have a video camera and an internet connection, like, you can be making content. And 
in a matter of time, like you can be making better and better and better content. Like, and I think we need to kind of hold ourselves like accountable to making better content that doesn't make people feel like shit. And I think that the, the folks, the amateurs, if you will, you know, the folks who just are, you know, making porn with the little, uh, film studio in their pockets, right? Their phones need to have education about how the distribution, how distribution, privacy, monetization, uh, marketing, how how they can actually do that in an effective and sustainable way. Because I don't know, I am really frustrated by the dichotomy of amateur porn that people don't expect anyone to pay for is like more real or like less degrading to women or less degrading to people of color and I think that that is really horphobic right because there are you know sex workers and pornographers are out here you know trying to make a living and creating the participating in this economy and the supply and demand right and Mm -hmm. so this like sanctimonious idea of you know porn that like if that it's like more real or pure if you don't expect to get paid for it is bullshit yeah. but that's that's another axe that i have to grind yeah. but i think it's related yeah because who who gets to make that anyway yeah. um you know your argument also your argument about porn like well what do you expect it's porn reminds me of some of the conversations ongoing conversations but like one in particular that has come up lately is the one about ghost in the shell right like oh well we have to cast Scarlett Johansson in this role that is based on a beloved story that should really have a protagonist who is a woman of color. And people are like, well, in order for it to make money overseas, ironically, we need it there to be a recognizable movie star. And, oh, I guess like all of the bankable movie stars are these like certain kinds of pretty white ladies. And, that we've made into movie stars. That we've made into movie stars. So, you know, the question is, at what point does that justification about the bottom line, which in some ways I respect that this is not all just about ideology. It is about business, like porn is a business and people do need to take these things into consideration. But at what point are you being a savvy business person? And at what point, at what point are you looking for a justification of your bigotry that you can point to the bottom line and be like, well, we've never tried it. So we have no example of what it would look like. And the assumption that like people would be turned off by not having a, a Scarlett Johansson in this film yeah like that you can't wrap your head around if like well if scarlett johansson is not in this film people not because because she's white like yeah like people are making a decision well if we put a person of color in here people won't want to watch it i don't i don't know those people i I mean i don't care yeah yeah it's like it's like this it's like this idea of that there is a baseline to human sexuality that at the end of the day, straight men are attracted to Jenna Jameson and gay men are attracted to, I don't know, Kobe Keller and that women are hot for, I don't know, like, uh, uh, who's like, uh, who's like a, male porn star that is like sort of like the prototypical like sexy male porn star 
right now. I don't know. Um, say Brian Driller. Like he's yeah. Very, like he's. Yeah, or even like right like now. Channing Tatum to like use a uh, yeah. like to use a, a movie star example and uh, and. Yeah, that this idea that like ultimately at the end of the day when you like strip past political correctness, like that's what people want. Fuck that, man. Like people are desirous of as many different things as you could possibly portray. And the like Jenna Jameson type is, is just a type that is to certain people's taste. But it's not like she's not like the this idea of like empirical attractiveness, I think is, is really limiting. Well, I think also just like the, the star power marketing mm. really is, I think does a disservice to storytelling. Like if, if you're mm. marketing, you know, that this, this star, this performer is in this movie or this, this, you know, adult film, are you, you've, you've kind of thrown story at the, at the window. Like mm. you aren't, and I and I under to a, like a level of like it's just a little too much, mm. you know. If you can't, you know, if you can't cut a trailer for a compelling story, you don't have a compelling story, and mm. so like you are now passing off the responsibility of this product out there onto the star. So then it's mm. like that Scarlett Johansson movie sucked. I'm like, well, it it sucked. No, regardless of who would have been in it. Right. But because you didn't create a story that was compelling, because you didn't create a product that people wanted to see, like, yes, you can enjoy Scarlett Johansson's, like, performance. Um, how many times have I said Scarlett Johansson in this conversation? Way it's too okay. many times. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's lazy. I think it's, I think it's really yeah. lazy, you know, when people do that in, in adult and, and mainstream entertainment. And I, and I understand that, like, you you see someone's performance and you're like, you know, it, it connects and it resonates with you. But to, I think to be reliant on, you know, to say someone is consistent, like all the time is, I don't think is, is, is factually true or to say like, you can yeah. only have this work if a certain person is, is in it. And there have been things that like, you know, you've seen, you're like, I can't imagine this film. Like, like, could you imagine the shining with like, not Jack Nicholson, you know, could you imagine, but, had it been made with not Jack Nicholson, like you might have still enjoyed the movie the same way. There's no way of of, of really knowing. Yeah. Um, but I do think that like you really, really get lazy when you when you market things that are are just so tied to like this person is in it, and so this is what so, we're selling. Yeah, get your credit card out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you for talking to me about that. Oh. delicate subject. I hope we solved that social problem forever. Yeah, on to the next one. Androids and author. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're doing last-minute holiday shopping, you should know that the Pleasure Chest is offering a December gift card deal. When you spend $100, you get a $15 gift card. 
When you spend $150, you get a $25 gift card. That's when you spend up to $1,000 in store and $250 online. So what I think is, buy vibrators and fetish outfits and bondage gear and porno and safer sex supplies for your loved ones and then pocket that free money to treat yourself to some post-holiday stress relief. If you're in New York City, Chicago, or LA, get thee to one of the brick and mortar stores or shop online from anywhere on earth at pleasurechest.com. Now, back to the show. Since porn was the thing that brought you and me together as friends, I was hoping that for posterity, you will tell the story of the night that we met. I would love to, which is, is as you know, one of my favorite stories. To I tell. really do. Every time we get together, if someone has not heard the story, or maybe even if they have, you always want to tell it. So. Yeah. Um, and I can't really tell it without you. I feel like we have to tell it together. It's a it's a good uh, co-story. <laughs> um, but you know, in in the the times of uh, the early years or the years of, oh, yeah. of our um, the halcyon days of queer porn, when there was like some money in queer porn in the Bay Area, and so yeah. like every hoe and like professional exhibitionist got to like make a few hundred bucks for like fucking their friends on camera the way that they wanted to fuck them and then giving interviews about like bisexuality or whatever yeah it's good times, good times. <laughs> hey, listen <laughs> uh made me made me who i am today yeah we i mean so this is like circa 2010 like like yeah 2010 like a, 2009 somewhere somewhere yeah, in yeah. there we yeah. we both of us got cast um I, f- I forget sometimes that there was a third person in that scene. There was. She is lovely. Um, she was great. But she also was a little bit like we were cast as kind of a threesome. The idea was that the it was for like a bisexual movie yeah. directed by Madison Young. Right. Yeah. And so like it was you and me and another performer named Billy. And um, and as was the sort of standard in those days of like consciousness raising porn, um, I can't believe that it feels like history now. Um, we uh, we were encouraged slash proactive about like getting together before the shoot and like getting to know each other a little bit, right? So we like met uh, uh, at the bar like two days before the shoot, right? Yeah. What bar was it? Um, it was, in the mission, the uptown, the uptown, the uptown, actually still one of my favorite bars. To, is it to still visit. there? It's still there. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's funny that that is such a, like a, a novel idea of like, I know people meeting before they have sex, um, more than 45 minutes ahead of time. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, we met, we had a, like a great time mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about Prince like a whole lot. Um, <sighs> Obviously RIP, which, you know, whether I'm not exactly sure if we talked about Prince, but I feel like it's been such a running conversation <laughs> in our friendship throughout the years that like it's it true. wouldn't surprise me if we did not talk about Prince. We st- we still do need to make that triple X purple, purple rain, rain yeah. with you as Morris Day. Motherfucking time. <laughs> yeah. um, and we um, obviously we hit it off very well. Obviously. And as we were um, exiting the bar, and um, we decided to make out at mm. the uh, place where your bike was parked. A very mm. San Francisco staple scene, I feel, is, is making Also, the out. way that you said, like, decided, like, we deliberated for a while and, like, we, deci- we decided to make out. It was, like, 
No, I think probably you, you just <laughs> <laughs> kissed me. <laughs> That's probably possibly what happened. Yeah, there and was... I allowed I allowed it to happen. <laughs> Regardless, anyway, so we're happened. making out on the street we're corner, out. right? And then no, go on. You you tell this part okay. of the story. <laughs> we're making out on the street corner, and um, this gentleman walks by, and. You you had your bicycle helmet mm. in hand. I think maybe I had started to unlock my bike. Yeah. And I'd like taken out my helmet, but then we were like making out some more before I rode away. Yeah. And and this this man was very impressed that you were, as he put it, damn girl, kissing brothers on the street and you ride a bike. <laughs> and I wasn't sure what he was more in impressed or surprised by, but I just thought it was like It was it was it was pretty comical. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was instant comic gold. Instant gold, yeah. And then we fucked. Yeah. And, fucked. yeah, and then the rest is history. Yeah. And now here we are 10 years later. That's, or, that's yeah. how, how yeah, very friendships nearly. are formed in San Francisco. Definitely. Yeah. I totally hear what you're saying about the fact that the porn industry does have a race problem, a sexism problem, has a transphobia problem. In some cases, porn perpetuates some of the worst language and ideologies and concepts about people different kinds of people and you definitely have dealt with that with regards to gender and race and other things i'm sure as well so how do you reconcile the those parts of the industry with the parts of the industry that have given you so many opportunities and that has motivated you to stick with it for almost a decade, which is quite a lot longer than the average person. I, I think I've been really lucky. Yeah. I think I've been really lucky to work for companies that, um, you know, see my value as a performance as not, um, you know, we need black guy A here um, who have, you know, and, and not every company that I've, I've worked with has, you know, been that way, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sometimes, like, you have to kind of pick your battles. And there are definitely, like, you know, scenes and companies that I've shot for where I'm just like, you know, I don't feel, you know, super great about this. And this is not, like, what I... Um, the content that I feel like um, is representative of like what I'd like to see out there, but it's, it's okay. And I understand for some people that they need that and, you know, I need to pay my bills as well. And just like, you know, everybody, every other job where you're like, and eh, you know, this day wasn't so great, but whatever, you know, tomorrow's a different day. You know, you make, you make those choices because you need to pay your bills. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I've, I've been really lucky that I started out in BDSM and, and fetish content, even though there, you know, are places within that, that genre that are highly racialized and problematic in other ways. I felt that I was kind of able to do a little bit more because of being in BDSM, where the focus was, was more on a dynamic and not as who I was physically. Awesome. Yeah. When I hear stories like yours with your partner's family 
excommunicating you both specifically as a result of the fact that you perform in porn. And I try to wrap my mind around it. I always come back to a confusion about why just on a simple, on the simplest, most fundamental level, you're having sex, you're an adult, you're having sex, people are filming it, you're negotiating the terms of getting paid for that performance, the end, that's it. Why? Why? Like, what What do you think your wife's parents and family think about you and this work that is so repugnant, so awful, so immoral that they have to completely cut you both out of their lives without even a conversation? Well, I have a lot of thoughts about that and a lot of speculation because without that conversation, there's there's no way to actually know. And as yeah, I have that's, gotten to- Yeah, that's number one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as I've gotten to, to know them over the years and- you know, well, one thing I, I will say is is when, and I'm sure you can kind of relate to this or, or know, you know, kind of this sort of situation is when you are in spaces where you're not out and, you know, the topic of, of work comes up. Like everybody has like a cover story or a like a distortion of, you know, um, events and situations that make it easier to kind of like interact when people are kind of like sharing about like, oh, what do you do for a living at, you know, so-and-so's like holiday party or. Um, sure. And, and some sometimes it's because you are not in the mood to offer instant sex advice to the person that you just met. Because yep. again, people assume that if you have transgressed that boundary, that you have are no a boundaryless person. Yep. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which untrue for the record yeah uh you know i i will say over the over the years of getting to know them um one of the things that i i think is just hard for people in general is and when you have shame about something when you have a feeling that something should not be discussed or mm. talked about um, or put into into public um, to see someone else do that thing that you um, have intense feelings about it not being out in public. I think that there's um, like a, a repulsion. Yeah, you know, um, I think that there is um, a lot of difficulty with communicating around sex and sexuality in America in general. Um, yeah, I would say the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the my wife's family is, is not um, 
they're not very conservative. They're not very religious. Um, they're not very political. The feeling that I I get that like is is most painful mm. for me is that it's presented as something that my wife did to hurt them. Mm. That it's it's like, oh well, you've always been like a troublemaker, or you're always like rocking the boat. You're a, like a social justice warrior trying to get us to think different. Mm. Um, and I've I've seen that you know, through being with her and being with her and her family and, and, you know, topics coming up and having discussions, really awkward discussions about um, Black Lives Matter, about um, law enforcement, about um, the justice system, about reproductive rights, you know, these things that, you know, we we care about and these topics where our opinions are, are very different. And, you know, I, even though we, we don't agree, like we're able to have, there's always been a difficulty in having the, the discourse about it. And I think, yeah. you know, me and my wife really want to have that discourse and not to change people's minds. Although like some, in some cases that would be great. Yeah. Um, that would be fantastic in some cases, but just also to like understand. And, yeah. and for, for me, the, I think the complete, if you thought that what we do is so horrible, is so, um, creates such this like visceral negative response and your child was with a person that like you thought was like, and I don't know if they think I'm the embodiment of embodiment of like all evil in the world. Yeah. Um. I you know I know that there's like you know a part of the level of like the secrecy and then like why didn't you tell us why didn't you trust us with this information? I mean because of the way you're reacting right now. I mean anyway. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But it's um, like, we hate you so much. Why didn't you bring this up before? Um, yeah. So you yeah. could hate us earlier. I, I, you know, I don't know. But um, the like if this is something that like. I, I don't know. Like, I feel like one is kind of like a uh, a denial of of. My like wife's capability to like make decisions or defend mm. her decisions or to um, that this was a like an attack on like the family to like hurt them or distance, mm. you know. Like there, it 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 seems like they're the perception. I I kind of have this feeling that per perception of decisions made were kind of like selfish and childish to like distance herself from the family, um, and the for me what's kind of stands out is this lack of the, this feeling of the like the lack of like care and concern. Like if you thought that your child was involved with something that you obviously feel very strongly enough to consider not talking to somebody yet. Yeah. And there was no like, are you okay? Yeah, man. And that for me was, is, is kind of a big, is a big thing. Um, there is, you know, a, a large amount of like pain and, and guilt that I, I carry 
yeah. on this feeling. And I, you know, many people have tried to tell me like, you, you know, you can't take this on. Like you didn't like ruin her relationship with her family. You didn't ruin like her, her life, but it's, it's, it's hard not to feel, um, to, to feel that way when you see your wife's family choosing not to communicate with her anymore because of something that you chose to do. Yeah. Um, and. But also you guys have always been honest with each other. And so she also chose to be with you. Yeah. And I don't mean that in the sense that we were talking about before of like, she chose to bestow her benevolent grace upon you and love you despite these horrible things that you do. Like, mm. you guys love each other. You guys decided to make a lifelong commitment to one another. You guys are having a kid. You, you love each other as you are. And it's, it's really, really sad when people can't even, when people have so much shame, it says, you know, you use the word shame, that that clouds their ability to see that this is fundamentally about the kind of love that she has and the kind of family that she is making for herself. Yeah, yeah. And that, there, there is, I think, something to kind of be... I don't know if if thankful is is the right word, but there's something about this situation that has really, um, you know, we were already kind of having the the conversation about like what our values are as in terms of like the family that we're, you know, creating, and I think this has been also um, a time of of having real clarity about the way that we communicate things about the way that we kind of see ourselves in the world, because, um, you know, you know, with this situation, I've had to kind of like, you know, been more aware of my own, like internalized, like, you know, whore phobia and Mm. like my own internalized, like sex work stigma of Mm. like fighting and having this, this, these moments of like, doubt and being like well what if they're right what if like you know this is everything that like you know people have been talking about is 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 right and then and then realizing that like you know like the 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 shames that like we all have like we can choose to deal with it we can choose to kind of face it we can choose to confront it or we can choose to ignore it and i don't think that ignoring it is does anybody any it's I think it's a Baldwin quote of like you know not uh, not all problems can be solved but for a problem to be solved it has to be faced yeah and nice yeah I know he's great <laughs> <laughs> he knew um, what the fuck he was talking about fuck yeah and, th- and that's that's you know I, I, I think that it's so backwards in this country to you know, talk about the, the, you know, proliferation of like porn on the internet and it's like negative and detrimental effects, but we can't 
actually talk about sexual education and sexual health and rape culture it to people who are you know facing it day like day to day like we can't talk about that um we can't have transparency in the in the conversations about sex and sexuality but it just seems so backwards well the stigmas are established so that in order to produce and replicate shame so that we're all doing the work of keeping powerful people powerful and powerful people in control of literally in control of sex and who gets to have it and what kind they get to have and what kinds are criminalized and what kinds are accepted and normalized um, as moral and acceptable and legal. Mm-hmm. And these strong reactions that people have to finding out that that people that they love or the people that the people in their communities or their families or their that those people have transgressed those rules people start freaking out i mean it's like what you were saying about it is the same as a conversation about black lives matter or a conversation about police brutality people have been contributing to this way of life that and maybe going against their instincts like well i don't i don't um like i don't know if i necessarily believe this but i have to contribute to this system so that i can get mine so that i can have safety so that i can have securities and and so then when they see that transgress they're like well god damn it like i think that somewhere deep inside they're like well, why am I, why have I been putting up with this? And this person is just like flagrantly flying in the face of it. Like I'm mad at, I'm going to be mad at them because they're, this is something concrete. This is someone that I can blame yeah. for my pain at having, at the sacrifices that I have had to make in order to contribute to a patriarchal, heteronormative capitalist society. And that's part of how those things replicate themselves and keep themselves strong. So you're, you're fighting it and it's really painful for you guys right now. And it's going to be painful for a while. It might, I mean, in some ways it will always be painful. Um, Yeah. 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 And I mean, and I don't, I don't know what a resolution looks like, and I'm not going to be naive and, and say like, Oh, they'll come around you know, and they might. Yeah. And they, and they might. And there, you know, there might be, you know, times later down the line where it's, you know, it's it's, you know, somebody in my family or somebody else that we know that, you know, has a hard time with, um, you know, the the decisions that that we've made. It might and be then, your kid, your future yeah. kids yeah. You might go through a period where they don't. They're learning their place in the world and they have a hard time contextualizing yeah. you know your past or or maybe even the things that that you're still doing in their yeah. lives yeah and 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 that's 
their right to do so. I just yeah. hope that, you know, at the at the very least we can talk about it. And that is that is I, I think the thing that is is so difficult is the lack of communication is that if you'd just rather it go away sort of feeling. Um, and that, and that's the, that's what I feel is, is being communicated is that like, well, this way we don't have to deal with it at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're, they're dealing with their own kind of pain and they must, they want to punish you guys. They want, maybe they feel this is the that they need this space in order to come to a conclusion where they can reconcile and figure out how to have a relationship Mm -hmm. I wish that they could have communicated that to you because there's nothing wrong with needing space but if it's framed as excommunication then that's just gonna cause you guys anguish what is the number one piece of disinformation out there about what it means to be a porn performer? If you could disavow the world of that disinformation in a way that could potentially contribute to healing this pain that you have in your family what would it be just one you can (laughs) yeah you can do top three if you want Um, there's a lot there yeah there 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 is is a lot and i and i understand everybody's experience is is different for for people who who choose to perform and I feel that there is no like universal reason that people choose this work. I I think that is in in the conversations I've I've had with people in um you know, articles that get written and you and you see people respond in, in the comments section mm. and people will throw out like, well, they're only doing this because of like fill in the blank, you know, they don't they don't have any other choice because they're uneducated or X, Y, and Z or uh-huh. you know, they're they're brainwashed and don't have any choice to begin with. Um that there is so like I think it's so easy for people to want to just point to like a reason like why people right. do this. And there's, there's, there's not like one reason, No, you know, there's so many multifaceted reasons and there's the, and the people who are in this work are as diverse as the range of human sexuality and don't see that there's anything wrong. I think that is the kind of the connecting thing is they don't see, um, that the expression of their sexuality is anything to be ashamed of. And I think the, the disinformation is that there is like just like one way to go about 
presenting that um and that there's only like a certain type of person who mm. who does this work i mean I, I you know we've we've met people from all backgrounds all like a wide range of socioeconomic backgrounds and um religious etc yeah um who really do love and enjoy this work and also people who try it out and don't like it yeah and, and they're not they're not tainted forever yeah by that choice yeah and I, that's that's the thing it's the, the forever tainting yeah is, is um something that we need to kind of get the fuck over agreed yeah well mickey mod i think you're an amazing porn star <laughs> i think the world is better for you taking your pants off and fucking for money on camera and i'm glad that you have chosen to do it i'm grateful that sex work and porn particularly in the bay area created a community for people to meet and fuck and then become friends yeah yeah <laughs> lifelong friends yeah and in a way that bond is so strong because of all of the stigma that we face like we gotta band together and take care of each other and listen to each other and be there for each other because if we don't no one else will and you know that you and your wife always has that community to support you and we know what you're going through and we're never going to judge you we'll not even judge you if you come become like non-sex worky normal people <laughs> with a baby <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sharing all of this really heavy stuff with me today yeah i yeah i mean i, I think that's something that you know we, we were going to talk about i think it's it's without the support of community without feeling like there are other people out there who have you know been through similar and i know that there are more people out there who are dealing with this um and having trouble with it i think one of the things that's kind of saved us is so many people who in our lives you know who have done sex work who haven't done sex work have um been so supportive and there is community out there for everyone um and it might not have been who you thought it was going to be yeah but it is who it is well good luck with your movie thank you all your movies and um you want to go swimming yeah let's go swimming hell yeah all right all right i love you i love you too talk more soon locations Interrobang is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tina Horn. Our theme music is by my brother from another mother, Moot. Thanks for listening. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.